The scripture for today's sermon comes from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. This is the word of God to us. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of God to us. If you've got a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 4, or sorry, Mark chapter 5, the passage that was just read is where we're going to be today. And if you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible at all, if you don't own one, we have some in the back window seals of the room, and we'd love for you to have one of those, just a, just a gift from us. So we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. Um, I want you to pray for me today. I'm really excited about this passage, and I want to pray for you, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see how God would shape us uh, by His Word today. Let's pray. Father, we come before your word with a lot of faith today. We come before your word trusting that you you shape us, you form us, but also, Father, you release us. Um, You set us free. And so under the voice, Jesus, under your voice, you are Lord. You're the most high God. Would you have mercy on us and would you help us understand? Would you have mercy on us and would you help us to come around you, would you have mercy on us and would we see you today as Lord? And would all the other things in our life sort of come under a frame of reference, perspective underneath you as King and Lord of us? We offer this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, this summer, uh, just a few weeks ago, my wife and I had the chance to go on a really amazing vacation. My father-in-law uh, recently retired, and my, my, my in-laws have been talking about taking uh, the whole family. So that's my wife and our family, uh, and then her brother and his whole family. Uh, we each have four kids apiece, so uh, put us all together. That's 14 people. They've been talking forever about getting a whole, like, family vacation going. And so uh, we haven't done that yet. We've been married 14 years. And so now my father-in-law's retired. He decided to throw down and do it. And he threw down big. And we, we, we went to Maui. And it was an amazing vacation. It was a phenomenal thing. And I kept thinking, I don't deserve to be here. I don't know if I know how to act in a place like this. I just hope I don't mess it up, right? And uh, one of the things that my wife and I got to do, we, they gave us a date night. And we got to go on a sunset cruise and it was easily one of the top five experiences of my life. It was an amazing thing. Uh, we got on this catamaran uh, with just like 30 other people. And uh, it was like open bar. And it was like endless tapas. And there was fresh ahi. And I was like, hey, keep those things just coming my way. And it was an amazing thing. But they drive you out 30 minutes uh, from shore. They, they hoist the sail. And then it's just as long as it takes to get back in. And it was an amazing deal. And we saw some sunsets. There's some pictures here on the screen. And it was like, this is magical. This is like what magic is, right? This is, this is an amazing thing. And uh, the, I have other pictures of part of that, but my shirt was unbuttoned far too low for anyone to want to see that uh, in the room today. Um, but, uh, but I'll just give you these pictures because these are amazing. But I show you this and I tell you all of that not to go, so I had an amazing summer, how about yours? That's not the point of that. Uh, I show you this today because there's something amazing that happens with a sunset, isn't there? Maybe you don't have to go to Maui, like just, just Oklahoma sunsets are pretty great. But there's something amazing that happens when you're able to sit there. Like here's what's happening. We did take a selfie, but no one's pulling out a mirror in that moment. Because you're caught up in the gaze of something else, aren't you? Like you're drawn outside of yourself and there's something that happens to you. There's like all kinds of stuff that swirls up inside of you when you're able to see something like that. And there's, there's no wonder that moments like that just feel right. Like everything just sort of feels right. And it's not a wonder because those moments are a shadow for us of, of what we are meant for, I would, I would argue. Those moments are a shadow for us of what we are meant for. Isn't it true that so much of the anxiety and the fear of our lives is owing to self-focus, self-preservation, self-provision, the focus of self. All of our anxiety and our fear is just all about self, but in that moment, somehow you're drawn out into something else, some other kind of beauty, some other kind of complexity, some other kind of power. And maybe I would argue it's not just something else, but it's someone else, right? There's someone behind that sunset. And the scriptures are meant to do just that. So, so what's happening in a sunset, what's happening in a moment of grandeur, if it's the mountains for you, it's the beach for you, if, if, it's, if it's something in nature that's drawing you out, there, there's something there that's a shadow of what the scriptures are meant to do. The scriptures like that are meant to draw us out of ourselves into the beauty, into the power of Jesus. That's what's happening. They're meant to stagger us with the person of Jesus. That sunset is just a shadow of what's happening with the one who made the sunset. And the scriptures are given to us as special revelation to stagger us with that one. And the account before us today in Mark chapter 5 is no different. There's three things I want us to see, and we'll get after this story. I want us to see the power of Jesus over darkness, the gentleness of Jesus, 
and the specificity of the love of Jesus. The power of Jesus over darkness, the gentleness of Jesus, but then also the specificity of Jesus over darkness. And if you'll lean in with me today, and by the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe that we'll be staggered. We'll be staggered by Jesus and we'll be drawn out of ourselves. This account opens up uh, in verse 1, directly connected to the previous accounts that we've looked at. So all of Mark chapter 4 that we've been in the last couple of weeks, Jesus told the kingdom parables. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven uh, is like a, a, a lamp. The kingdom of heaven is like a sower uh, or a farmer going out to sow seed. He tells these kingdom parables, these metaphors, what the kingdom of God is like. And then he gets into this boat, and he goes to the other side, and this storm comes, and Jesus calms the storm. That was what we talked about last week. All of these things are sequential events. And then this account here in Mark 5 begins with what happened on the other side of the sea. When they got into the boat to go to the other side, they step offshore, and that's where this event picks up. They got out of the boat. They came upon this man who was being tormented by demons, the scriptures tell us. He was mentally afflicted. He was physically afflicted. He was socially afflicted. It says he would scream day and night. He would shriek wildly because of the agony and the pain he experienced. He was so tormented. The first five verses are graphic in detail in a kind of way that they're almost hard to read because of this man's pain. He was so tormented and he hated himself that he would often resort to cutting himself with stones, presumably to end the pain he was experiencing. He was attempting suicide on the regular Beyond cutting himself, the townspeople would often go out and try to harness him, tie him down to the place he was living so that he wouldn't harm himself, but they were also afraid for themselves that he wouldn't harm them. He was pushed out of town so that people didn't have to deal with him. He lived among the caves. He lived among the tombs, it says, which served as actually places of shelter and as sort of a cemetery for the poorest of people in their community. This was a place of intense poverty. And this scene and description of this man is graphic and it's hard to read again, but it's that way on purpose. Here's what Mark is trying to do as we read these first five verses. He's literally attempting to put us in the scene. Yes, this was something that happened back then, but it's like he wants to invite us back into that moment so that we can sit down there and experience what happens when Jesus steps off of the boat and onto the shore. So the first thing I want you to see is the power of Jesus over darkness. Begin with me in verse 6. It says, when he saw Jesus, this man, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying aloud with a, crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do to, with me? What, what, the, the translation there is, what do we have in common? What is a person like you and a person like me? We shouldn't be in the same place. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you. I call out to you by the name of God. Don't torment me. And so it's hard to know in this moment who's actually speaking. Is it the man or is it the demonic presence in the man? Regardless of what's happening here, regardless of who's speaking, what's important to note is that the authority and the power of Jesus is noticed and submitted to from jump. What what have you to do with me? Hey, you're the one who has real power here. Have you come to torment me? Have you come to do something with me? And what's amazing in the book of Mark to this point, we're five chapters in, the only people or the only things that are responding to Jesus in the appropriate way, the only people who are recognizing who Jesus is, are those who are completely downtrodden. Those who have hit rock bottom, they recognize who Jesus is. The wind and the waves recognize who Jesus is, that was last week, and the demonic. 
Everyone else is confused. Even the disciples are like, I don't know what to do with you. But the downtrodden know who he is. Creation knows who he is. And the demonic knows who he is. The book is moving to say he is indeed the son of God. Now pick up with me in verse 8. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding by the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down a steep bank into the sea and they drowned there. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. And they came to see Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion. He was sitting there. He was clothed. And he was in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now I want to read that in full because what I want you to see there, the power of Jesus over darkness, there wasn't a debate. There was an automatic recognition of who Jesus was. What have you done? Have you come to torment me? Have you come to punish us? Have you come to destroy us? There was no debate. There was no fight. There was just absolute dominance from Jesus. The herdsmen were terrified. He sent them into the pigs. They ran off. They're like, okay, my complete living has just been destroyed by the power of Jesus and his, this exorcism. And they were terrified. They go to the city, and they tell the people about it. And here's what I want you to notice. When Jesus comes and shows off his power, just like last week with the storm, they were actually now more terrified after Jesus had flexed on the demonic than they were with having this deranged man live right outside of their city who's no longer deranged. They're now more afraid now that they don't have this situation. And they beg him. This is what's crazy about this. You would say, oh my gosh, who has come upon us? Like, this is an amazing thing you've done. Will you please stay here with us? Would you bring order to our chaos? But actually, instead, they're more terrified by this flex of power that they demand him to leave. The city unanimously decides, you can't stay here. And they beg Jesus to leave. You might read that and go, what's wrong with these people? Like, why wouldn't you want this person to stay? But the idea is, what do you do with someone who has this kind of holiness? What do you do with someone who has this kind of authority, this kind of power? If he has the power over the demonic like that, then what is he going to command of us? This is what they're thinking. What is he going to do with us? And there's something here that reads us. There's an invitation for us to consider because we might think they're crazy. We wouldn't want Jesus to stay, but would we? But would we? We want the power and the authority of Jesus so long as he plays by our rules, right? We want him to get rid of the stuff that we want him to get rid of. We just don't want him to talk about the stuff that we don't want him to get rid of. We want him to play by our rules. We want what we want. We want his power where we're distressed. Jesus, can you come do something about my stress? Can you come do something about my anxiety? Just don't talk about the areas of my life that I'm content with. Don't flex your power there. Don't, don't, don't flex your power in the areas of my life so long that I don't have to change or give anything up. Just get rid of what I don't want. 
And there's something of an invitation based on the response of the crowd that's a bit shocking for you and I to ask a question. Is there any place in your life where you don't want Jesus to bother you? (laughs) That's what the herdsmen were dealing with. Oh my gosh, he just upended, he just upended what I know to be my day-to-day. He's just bothered my day-to-day. He's bothered my status quo. Is there any area of your life where you don't want Jesus to bother you? Is there any place where you're trying to put limits or restrictions on his power and authority? You can have power and authority here, just don't go here in my life. Don't touch my money. Don't touch my ideas of pleasure and of impulse. You can talk here, you can deal with me here, but just don't go to these other areas. But here's what this text suggests. To have Jesus is to have all of him, which means he has power over all darkness. He has power over all darkness. There's no debate. He has absolute authority. But Then I want you to know here the gentleness of Jesus. The gentleness of Jesus. This story is an amazing one that calls us out of ourselves just to gaze at this man Jesus because it busts up the status quo that he only works for some people. There's an idea in us that Jesus does, might not work for me. I'm, I'm too far gone. I'm, I'm too messed up. I've done too much. Jesus only works for those who have reasonable filth, not absolute filth. But this story busts up that status quo. If all we had were the first five verses that explained to us the condition of this man, if all we had were just the first five verses that tell us about who he was, his condition, and it wasn't in the Bible and we didn't know how the story goes down, then we would get a picture of this man in our heads and we would assume, well, he's absolutely lost his mind. He's too far gone. No wonder God has passed over him. We might assume that. This is the kind of man that if we were to see him, if we lived in that village, we would shield our children's eyes from this man. The scriptures tell us that after Jesus dealt with him, he was then clothed. So he wasn't just deranged in his attempts of suicide and his demonic and his refusal to be shackled. He was naked out there among the tombs. We would shield our children from a man like this. This is the kind of man that we would do our best not to make eye contact with as we passed him on the street. This is the kind of man that we might even assume, well, the reason he's having to deal with all of this is because of the bad decisions he's made. These are just the consequences that come with the kinds of things he's given himself to in life. We would look at this man as someone to be ignored, as someone to be left to himself and to be pushed to the margins. But here's the staggering thing about this passage. This man is not too difficult for Jesus. I just want us to pause on that, right? Because maybe you're going, well, I'm not this man, but there's areas of your life that just keep owning you or keep sitting there or keep progressing or keep besetting in your life and you're going, maybe this is an area of my life too difficult for Jesus. I've just not got to figure out how to cope. But I want you to acknowledge Jesus has power over all darkness, over all things, and this man is not too difficult for Jesus. To say it a different way, Jesus doesn't break a sweat over this man's troubles. (laughs) He doesn't break a sweat He shows up with non-anxious presence and speaks with peace and ease. The very thing that this man thought would get him disqualified from a touch of God was the very thing that qualified him. 
The very thing that this man thought, my demon possession, my attempts at suicide, my darkness mentally, physically, socially are the things. This is just a shadow of the fact that God has distanced himself to me. And Jesus shows up and says, no, those are the very things that qualifies you for my approach. Man. There's nothing about this man that makes Jesus flinch. This story is staggering. And I want you to see this because this is who Jesus is. Sometimes we get caught up in this world of what we hope Jesus to be or what we'd like to think Jesus is. This is who he is. There's nothing about you that makes Jesus flinch. There's nothing about you that makes Jesus flinch. He was the same then as he is today and forever. He doesn't change. There's nothing about you that causes Jesus to break a sweat wondering, I don't know if I'm going to be able to help that person. Maybe to put it in more stark terms, same-sex attraction doesn't make Jesus want to avoid eye contact with you. It doesn't make him want to avoid eye contact with you. Years of dealing with addiction to substances or pornography, loads of shame and guilt and hiding, those things don't cause Jesus to turn around and leave you to yourself. He doesn't flinch. He doesn't break a sweat. He's not confused about you. The ghosts of your past that haunt you in your sleep don't cause Jesus to fold his arms waiting to figure out if you're going to do your part so he can do his. Nothing about this man, nothing about you makes Jesus flinch. This is who he is. Hey, this is good news, isn't it? This is good news. Just like this man, the very thing that qualifies you for the approach of Jesus might just be the very thing that you're assuming distances you from God. Yet it's the thing that qualifies you. And you just reason to yourself, maybe, if you're like me, there's places in your, in your life where you reason to yourself, this just must be who I am, and the only thing left for me is to make sense of it in my mind and get my own back, cover my own self, because no one else will, and it feels like God doesn't seem to care. You say, well, yeah, but how can I know that this is the heart of Jesus? <laughs> because it feels like I've reached out before and nothing happened. How can I know this is the heart of Jesus? And I want you to notice about this man, there's nothing about him that was looking for Jesus. There's nothing about this man that was looking to get right with God. He wasn't looking to clean himself up. If anything, he was trying to destroy himself. He was trying to destroy himself. Jesus interrupted him. Jesus intervened on him. He looked this man in the eye and did for this man what he could not do for himself. Jesus clothed this man. He brought him to his right mind. And he settled him in the presence of God. Hey, sit with that. Because that isn't just this man's story. This, is, this isn't just hope for people who feel like they might identify. Maybe you're here going, hey, I identify with this man. This isn't just the story of those who think they identify with this man. This is literally the story of every person who is a true disciple of Jesus. This is all of our story. This Mark chapter 5 is the testimony of all of us in the room who would call Jesus Lord. You weren't looking for Jesus, he came for you. You didn't initiate with Jesus, he initiated with you. There was nothing about your life or your story that was gonna find its way to God. Instead, he interrupted you. He intervened on you. 
He intervened on me. He looked you in the eye and did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He clothed you in his righteousness. He brought you to your right mind, and he settled you in the presence of the Father. This man's story is my story. This man's story is your story and any who are a true disciple of Jesus. And the last thing I want you to see today is the specificity of his love. The specificity of the love of Jesus. In verse 18 it says this, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged that he might be with Jesus. I love that. He's experienced the touch of God. I've experienced so much else. Can I please stay with you? You're different. You're better. Can I please stay with you? And this is interesting. In verse 19, and he did not permit him, but said, I want you to go home to your friends, and I want you to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So here's what happens as this story comes to a close. This whole thing goes down, and Jesus gets back in the boat to leave. And so you're kind of left to assume, right, this is all connected with the events before. So he told the kingdom parables out from shore on the boat, and then he goes from one boat to the next and goes out onto the sea. The whole storm thing happens. He calms the storm. He gets to the other side. This whole event with the demonic man happens. He releases him, and then he gets back into the boat to go back to the other side. And you're kind of left to go, what was the point of that trip? What, what was the point of, like, teach, go across just to get a sail in? Just to flex on creation for a second, deal with the guy, and then like, oh, let's go, let's go back? Like, it feels, it feels a bit out of the way. Couldn't we have just stayed over there? But I think that's the whole point of this. This is another moment in scripture where you've heard before, Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. The shepherd leaves the 99 just for the one. Hey, listen, he went to the other side just for this man. The specificity of the love of the Son of God. He went to the other side just for this man. Job's done, let's go back. He goes out of his way. Hey, listen, Jesus goes out of his way for this man. The man that we would want to not make eye contact with. The man that we would want to shield our children from. The man that was deranged in every kind of way. Jesus goes out of his way for him. He doesn't make, break a sweat over him. He actually intentionally moves toward him. Nothing about this man disqualified him from the agenda of Jesus. He goes there just for him. This wasn't an inconvenient trip. This wasn't a, a trip that was a waste of time. And I just read that to... To suggest that over you, hey, you're not an inconvenience to God. Your darkness isn't looked at by God as a waste of time. He's specific. The scriptures say he knows every hair on your head. He knows what you need before you ask him. He goes out of his way for you, and he's not frowning about it. I don't want to just fly by truths like that. Consider that. And this man begs to stay with Jesus. In an interesting moment, 
Jesus tells him, no, 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 but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your town and I want you to tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. Hey, mark this in the book of Mark. (laughs) Jesus just tells this man to go tell everyone what the Lord has done for him. But up to this point, he's told everyone else he's messed with, don't go share what has happened. Just keep this between us. Now, this man is the worst condition we've seen in the book of Mark. The man who would have more shame, the man who would have more baggage, the man who people in his town know who he is because they were trying to shackle him all the time. And yet Jesus says to you who think you have no place to speak in your city, I want you to go tell your story of what the Lord has done. He gives this man a privilege that he didn't give anybody else. Some of you in the room today think that because of your story, your baggage, what's happened, that you're just sort of trying to stay in the back of the kingdom of heaven hoping to make it, and that you don't need to open your mouth because who are you after all? And Jesus says, you're a trophy of my grace. That's who you are. I want you to share your story. I want you to tell how much the Lord has done for you. Go tell. So as we wrap up today, here's what's interesting. You might think, so is that it? This man gets healed and the beat goes on. The story keeps moving. Well, the answer to that question is yes and no. <laughs> yes, this man gets healed. He's in his right mind. He's clothed. He goes tells what the Lord has done and the beat goes on. But on the other hand, no, the story isn't done. The story isn't done. Because here's the deal. Darkness was defeated on that day. The devil wanted this man's life. But Jesus didn't let him have it. But here's the dark thing about darkness. It always wants a revenge, doesn't it? It doesn't go that easily. It always wants revenge. Your shame and my shame, your darkness and my darkness bear witness to that. The story moves forward, but it casts a shadow on what happens at the cross of Jesus. The demonic hosts rage at Jesus. They want their position. They want their authority. They want their power. Jesus won't let them have it, so they rage at him. They want him dead because Jesus has come to expose them for the fraud they are, and he strips them of their power. And this puts on display, this story puts on display what the early church called the doctrine of Christus Victor, which just simply means Christ has victory over Satan, over sin, and over death. Over Satan, sin, and death. There's two passages that we'll end with today. This is the crescendo. We've rehearsed these before, but listen to how this works. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses, that's all of us, the uncircumcision of our flesh, our hearts hard to God. What did God do? God made them alive. We weren't looking for God. God came to us. We were dead in our sins, but he made us alive. How did he do it? He forgave us of all of our sins. How did he do that? He canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. Darkness reads your shame over you. The record of death that stands against you that suggests you have no place with God. I know who you are. I know what you've done. God has no business with someone like you and we tend to believe the dark story. But notice what happens. This record of debt this list, he set it aside. How did he do that? He nailed it to the cross, and notice what happens in 15. He disarmed the rulers. He disarmed the demonic powers. He disarmed the accuser of his accusations, and he put them to open shame. He put legion to open shame. He put the forces of shame to shame, 
and he triumphed over them in Christ. And so what shall then we say to these things? Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, if God is for the demoniac, if God went out of his way for the demoniac, if God goes out of his way for us, if the specificity of God's love doesn't consider us an inconvenience, if God is for us, then who could be against us? He didn't spare his own son. Notice Jesus came. He gave him up for us all. And how will he not also along with him give us all things? So who should bring a charge against us? Who should condemn us? It is God who justifies. And who should condemn us? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that was raised from the dead. Is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us, praying for us. Now notice this last passage. In all of these things we are more than conquerors. Even this man in Mark 5. Because of him who loved us. For I am confident, neither life nor death, notice this, not angels or demons. For I am confident that neither life nor death, not angels or demons, not even the the greatest attack of the demonic host can rage at me and do anything. Why? Because not even things present or to come or powers, not height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the power of Jesus over darkness. This is the gentleness of Jesus for those who suffer under darkness. And this is the specificity of his love. Christus Victor, he is king over Satan, over sin, and over death. He gets the last word. Amen? Amen.